Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. Thank you, Lily, for reading the scripture this morning. I'll have everybody know that is my favorite scripture reader so far, mostly because she's my daughter. So thank you for uh, for reading the word to us today. Uh, our values here at City on a Hill are the gospel, community, and mission. The gospel is the good news that Jesus gave his life for us, that he paid our penalty on the cross so that we could have a new relationship with God. And for anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ alone, you can be saved. We would love to talk with you about that, taking that next step of faith. Secondly, community, God created us for relationships. So we get together in community groups uh, to share life together, to be like a family studying God's word. And then lastly, mission, the good news is just too good to keep to ourselves. So we share the hope of Jesus with other people uh, through the way that we live and through declaring the gospel uh, with with our mouths. Um, We have one announcement this morning. It's a big one. Next Sunday, we are gathering together in person. So um, this is the first time since we that we've been able to do this since November. And so we invite you to be a part of that. Um, you can pre-register on our website, uh, coahforesthills.org. You can follow the link there and it will take you to that pre-registration. That helps us uh, be able to serve you better knowing that um, we can uh, help everybody socially distance and make sure that we uh, properly set up uh, our worship space for you. So be sure to do that and join us uh, next Sunday. Uh, this morning, we continue our series on the life of David. Last week, we jump-started this series uh, talking about how David came onto the scene, how God um, called David to be the new king of Israel. And there's gonna be some time that passes before David actually takes on that mantle as king. And this morning, we're looking at the idea of David as uh, David and Goliath. David and Goliath is probably one of the most, if not the most, beloved Bible stories um, in the entire um, in the entire Old Testament. In fact, uh, people who aren't even Christians know the story of David and Goliath. And so the David and Goliath imagery has really become the, the Western metaphor for the little guy overcoming the odds. When we talk about, a, so for example, like a sports, uh, like a sports a sporting event, like two teams, they'll, they'll describe it as a David and Goliath matchup if one team seems to be outmatched by the others. And probably the greatest David and Goliath story in sports history was in the 1980 Winter Olympics. Uh, The Russian hockey team was invincible. They hadn't lost a a game in the Olympics in 12 years, uh, taking on the U.S. hockey team, who was made up of a bunch of scrappy college kids, many uh, many of them from here in Boston at BU, some from Minnesota, and the odds were stacked against them. And so the United States hockey team goes in and they win in the semifinals of the 1980 Winter Olympics uh, in what is called the miracle on ice because it was literally a miracle. It was the greatest upset in sports history. So Al Michaels screams out, do you believe in miracles? And they made a movie about this because it was just so profound. There was just no way this could possibly happen. The U.S. ends up going on to win gold by beating Finland in the finals. And so the moral of the story, when we talk about a David and Goliath type of story, is people typically say, well, you know, if you just try hard enough, you can overcome the odds. The little guy can defeat insurmountable uh, odds. But honestly, is that what David and Goliath is really about? It is, ultimately, is David and Goliath really about you or I? What we tend to do with Old Testament stories is we tend to insert ourselves into the place of the hero. 
we see someone like David. And so in this story, we see David as us. We see ourselves as the little guy and we see Goliath as the giants that we think we have to face in our lives, our relational struggles, our money struggles, the fears that we have. And if we just have enough gumption, if we just have enough stick to we can get through our problems if we simply try hard enough. I'm facing my giants and I just need to pluck up the courage to face them. But that's not what David and Goliath is about. David and Goliath is about God and his work to preserve his people. It is ultimately about God. And the Bible in general is about God. You can approach the Bible in one of two ways. You can try to make it about you and everything is just immoral for you to try to do better. Or it's about God revealing himself, revealing his glory to his people. And so make no mistake, the Bible is about God. It's his story, but it's for you. It's about God, but it's for you and how God works on our behalf for our benefit. And so ultimately, you're not David, or at least you're not David in the way that you think you're David. You're not David because ultimately the story is not about David either. It's about how God used David. It's about how God worked powerfully for his people. And so God sends David to fight for Israel. And in the same way, we need God to send someone to fight for us. So we're going to look at how David is a picture and a shadow of what Jesus does for us on the cross. David fights Goliath, believing that God was with Israel, and that gave him the strength in order to fight his, the giant Goliath. So let's see how David teaches us how God pursues victory for his people. The first thing we see this morning is that David embraces courage, not fear. David embraces courage, not fear. In verse 1, we, we see there's this ongoing battle between the Philistines and the Israelites. It says the Philistines uh, gathered their, um, their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko. So Soko uh, was this town that was kind of, a, kind of partway between uh, 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 the city of Gath, which was a Philistine city about eight miles to, um, to the west, and Bethlehem, which was an uh, Israelite city about 15 miles to the east. And so they're gearing up for another big battle in the midst of a war that's lasted for the last 50 years. There's this constant war going on. And what's happening is that the Philistines are pushing the Israelites slowly backwards. They're slowly winning this victory. And in verses two for, in two and three, we see this standoff. It says, and Saul, the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And so we see in verse three that the Philistines are on one side of the valley on a mountain. The Israelites are on the other side of the valley on a mountain. And they're having this big standoff. And in fact, if you know, in war, they often talk about the person who has the high ground um, has the advantage. And so here, they're, they're staring down in this valley. Some believe that this actually may be what David was talking about when he described the valley of death in Psalm chapter 23. There's this tense battle that is beginning to brew, and they're staring each other down, and it's beginning to come to a peak. Some believe that this may be the definitive battle, that both sides are probably feeling like if, if we can win this battle, we can turn the tide in the war, and we can finally deal with our enemy. And in verse 4, it says, And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. Now, Goliath is this fearsome sight. 
He is considered a giant. He's a champion. He's a type of prize fighter that is there to um, call out Israel. And so he is a huge, imposing figure. So there, there's, you know, it says here that he was six and a half, six cubits in a span. There's some debate among scholars about exactly how tall Goliath was. Somewhere between seven foot tall and nine foot nine. We're not totally sure on the exact height, but what we need to know is compared to the average person, he was huge. Even compared to Saul, who was described as a head and shoulders above the rest of his Hebrew brothers, Goliath would have towered over him. For example, I'm six foot three. But if I stand next to an NBA basketball player, I look tiny. I look like a very small, like I'm the same height as Steph Curry. So if you ever watch basketball, he's my height. And so I would look tiny compared to him. Goliath was this huge gargantuan man. I'm imagining the incredible Hulk. He's this imposing, intimidating figure. He's donned in all this bronze armor that wasn't just for protection. It was really about intimidation. He was this intimidating figure. And much like in sports, he's trying to get the psychological advantage. He is this imposing figure that has won the battle before it's even begun. He is staring them down. And he makes this challenge in verses 8 through 11. It says, He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you are not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. And he makes this challenge. He says that if, if I win, then your people will serve my people. But if you win, my people will serve yours. And that's a really important little nugget. I want you to tuck that away for later. But the moral we see here is that nobody wants anything to do with Goliath. Nobody wants that smoke. Nobody wants a piece of him. And in verse 16, it says that Goliath kept going out for, for 40 days. For 40 days, he would go out and do the same thing in this imposing way. And the people of Israel were gripped in fear. I mean, surely somebody after 40 days would step up. Not even Saul would step up to the challenge. We've all experienced overwhelming fear. And in verse Samuel 17, we see three approaches that we can take to fear. The Israelites were full of fear but had no courage. All they saw was Goliath standing in front of them. They were terrified. Verse 11 says, when they saw him, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. If you look at verse 24, they, were, they fled from him because they were so afraid. They were terrified. They lacked courage. But what is courage? Tim Keller describes courage as being able to do the right thing regardless of the danger and regardless of the consequences. All they saw was Goliath and they failed to do what God had called them to do. They failed to defend Israel's honor, which meant they failed to, de to, to defend God's honor, his fame. Even Saul, it says, was scared. He was dismayed. He was greatly afraid. The def great defender of Israel would not do what God called him to do. See, what happened is their circumstances dictated their obedience. Some of them, as some have said, that it was as if Goliath seemed to them as bigger than God. And what, so what did they do? They gave in to their fear. Notice, I didn't say that it's wrong to be afraid, but they gave in to their fear. See, when you give in to fear, it, you let it control you and it begins to dictate how you live because you, what you're doing when you give in to fear is you're saying that that thing, your fear is bigger than God himself. 
What is it you're afraid to do? What is it you're afraid you don't have the courage to do doing the right thing regardless of the consequences? Maybe it's confessing sin. Maybe you need to confess some struggles, some secret struggles in your life that you're just so afraid of what others might think of you. Maybe you need to take that step of faith, that, that step of boldness to, to passionately share the gospel with your neighbor, but you're afraid of their scorn. Doing the right thing means doing it regardless of the consequences. The Israelites were full of fear, but had no courage. And then you have Goliath who had no fear, who seemed to be full of really what was false courage. I imagine Goliath, kind of like the guy at the at Planet Fitness that you hit the lunk alarm on. He's like wearing the spaghetti strap shirt. He's, he's in there chugging water and slamming weights. He's psyching everybody out. He picks things up and he puts them down. That's what I imagine Goliath as full of bravado, full of, of, of just uh, hubris. I and mean, he is so, so cocky. In verse 10, he defies Israel. In verse 42, he has all this disdain for David. And in verse 44, he says he's going to crush David's bones. He had a complete loss of perspective. He was so self-absorbed, he didn't see how impractical his heavy armor would be. He didn't believe that anybody could take him down. He didn't have a healthy respect for fear. See, this is how the world tells us to approach fear. If you just do enough and you build your life up enough and you convince yourself enough that nothing can harm you, that you have nothing to fear, that you can actually be invincible. But the problem is that there are some things you should be afraid of. There's some things you should have a healthy fear and awe and respect of. And so what the world tells us to do is just convince yourself that if you do all the right things, if you build yourself up enough, nothing bad will ever happen to you. But what's the problem with that? Sometimes things do go wrong, even when you feel like you've done the right thing. And this is where atheism and self-sufficiency fall flat, is they have no answer for suffering. They have no mechanism for pain. They have no way to address life when it goes wrong. C.S. Lewis actually wrote a book about this called The Problem of Pain. And in this, he says that pain is a universal problem that no matter what you believe, you have to explain. And at one point, C.S. Lewis was an atheist. And he said, well, he said, well, you know, uh, you know, and this is the struggle for a lot of people who don't want to believe in God is, you know, how could a good God allow suffering and pain to happen to people? But Lewis says that if you remove God, you don't do away with pain. You still have the problem of pain. Pain and suffering still exist. And so does God not existing actually explain pain better? No, it doesn't. Because what pain does is it shatters the illusion that you're in control. It shatters the illusion and reveals to you that you never were in control. And so when we suffer, when bad things happen, we feel helpless. And our only hope is that someone is in control in the midst of our suffering and pain. And Christianity says that someone is. That we have a God who is in control of all things. And that also that God is working out everything for the good of those who love him. He's working him out with a purpose and he's drawing our eyes towards himself. And he meets us in our fear. And that's where David comes in. David gives a better uh, explanation, a better way to approach fear. He embraces courage. In verse 32, he tells Saul, he says, let no man's heart fail because of him. 
Now, this sounds crazy because you're like, do you see the size of this guy? He's massive. And even Saul thinks that maybe David's not quite assessing the situation properly because in verse 33, he kind of treats this as youthful ignorance. He says, he says, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, but for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. He's almost like patting him on the head and saying, well, you know, that, that's kind of cute, little buddy, like that you think you could beat him. He was a youth. He wasn't eligible to go to war, which means he was younger than 20 years old. But what David did is he embraced courage. I didn't say that he didn't have fear. He had a healthy respect of fear. I mean, he he had a healthy respect for for Goliath because healthy fear puts our circumstances in perspective. He he didn't look at Goliath and say, you know what? No big deal. I can can take him down. He was smart. He he kept his distance. He chose a, a, a strategy that played to his strengths. But mostly, he trusted that God was for him that God was bigger than Goliath, and that gave him courage to face his fears, to embrace courage. Because our God is bigger than anything we will face. We can live with courage. We can see our fears with the right perspective, trusting that the Lord is working for us. The second thing we see from David is that David employs real power, not pride. Real power, not pride. Pride. Verses 12 through 15, we see David visiting his brothers on the front line. We see David um, going there. And again, again, he's too young. He's too young to to uh, to actually fight. Jesse's too old. So his three older uh, sons go. And, And David's courage and confidence actually ruffles some feathers. In verses 28 through 30, he upsets uh, his brother Eliab, who, who thinks that, that David is just trying to kind of gawk at the, at the scene of war. He questions his motives. So who are you to actually come here and think you could do anything? And so David is really confident. Verse 26, David asks this question about what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel or from Israel. You don't ask that question unless you think you could win. It's like if you've ever watched the World Series of Poker and one person asks the other to count their chips, it's because they're going all in. It's not because they don't think they can win. David thinks he can win, but how, how is he going to back this up? How is David going to back up his claim that he can take Goliath down? If you look at verses 31 through 34, David gives us kind of an idea, a clue, and, and he, he offers to fight. Saul says, no, you're too young. But then David comes back and mentions his time as a sheep. Now, last week, I, or as a shepherd, last week I mentioned how being a shepherd was a tough job. And this is how tough it was. The sheep were in constant threat. They were constantly defenseless. And so sometimes a lion or a bear would come along and steal and kill a sheep. You know, if I was a shepherd, I'd say, you know what? We got one less sheep. No big deal. But this was not a job for the faint of heart. David says in verse 35, he says that he would chase down the bear or the, the lion, grab it by the beard and kill it. I remember hearing a story of an Alaskan woman who was five foot two and went and punched a, a black bear in the face to get her dog back. You got to have some gumption and some toughness to do that. But I want you to notice, and you cannot miss this, because if you miss verse 37, you'll miss the power with which David did this. David did it, but he says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear 
he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. He's not saying, well, you know what? I took down a lion and a bear. How hard can a giant be? He says, the Lord who empowered me for this. The Lord empowered. See, only in Christ can you have humility and confidence together. Only in Christ can you have that because the power is not from you, but it works in and through you. Whatever God calls you to do, he gives you the power necessary for it. This is how God uproots sin in our lives. When you come to faith in Christ, it's through repentance and belief. Um, You repent and believe the gospel. The Holy Spirit makes you alive in Christ and you confess these things. But as a follower of Jesus, as you go on and God's uprooting sin in your life, we, we continue to repent and believe the gospel. And as we do so, we see this inner working of how the Spirit empowers us to do so. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God who gives us the power and works in us as we work as we see sin put to death in our lives, as we pursue lives that glorify him. Where do you look for power in your life? Where do you look? And so there, just like courage, just like fear, there are a couple of different ways that you can approach this that we see here in 1 Samuel. You can approach it like Goliath, which means that you approach power through pride. Again, Goliath is fearsome. And what's interesting about the description of Goliath is that It gives great detail to Goliath that you don't see in other parts of the Bible. There's several verses that are given in lots of detail about Goliath's appearance. But if you notice David's description back in verse or chapter 16, it's only a couple of words that describe what David looked like. Like in American literature, if you're reading a book, it would not be uncommon to see an entire page given to describe what a character looked like. You just don't see that in Hebrew literature. So why does the writer of 1 Samuel go to such lengths to give you a picture of what Goliath looked like. Goliath's pride. Goliath loved him some Goliath. He boasted in his appearance and what he had. We see the description of his armor. He comes out, verse 5, he had a helmet of bronze on his head. Bronze, by the way, changed the world. When bronze came onto the scene, those who had it had the highest technology and it destroyed every other kind of technology before it, whether it came to weapons or to tools. He has a helmet of bronze. He has a, a coat of mail that's bronze, which weighed over 120 something pounds, 126 pounds. Even his javelin was bronze. It was made from a, like, it was like a weaver's beam, which mean, meant that it had a strap on it. it would get, actually, when he threw it, it would give more accuracy. The head of the spear weighed 15 pounds. He had the absolute biggest, the absolute best, and that is the conventional idea of power. The biggest, the best, the latest, the strongest, the fastest always wins. But compare that to David. David wins by weakness. Saul tried to get David to put on his armor. We see this in verse 37, but it didn't work. It didn't fit. He couldn't hardly move. He lays all of that aside for shepherd's tools of a staff and a sling. Goliath's trust and power lied in what he could bring to the table, but David's trust relied in the Lord. Verse 45, we see that David believes the Lord is on his side and he came in the name of the Lord. See, we do the same thing as Goliath. We trust in all sorts of things to pad our lives. 
all sorts of armor that we put on to give us power and affirmation and stability and hope. And like David, we need to lay those things aside in simple trust, believing that God is working for us. But if we're honest in this story, we're not really like David. We're more like the crowd. We're more like Israel. When it comes to doing the right thing, we cower in fear. We don't honor God with our lives. We, we fight in our own power when we do. See, you can't just see David and try to be like him because like Israel needed David, you need someone in your place too. We need a better David. That's why lastly, David embodies a savior, not an example. Here's the key. And you, and you have to remember this. David goes for all Israel. He goes in their place. Verse nine, his victory is Israel's victory. His defeat would be Israel's defeat. And there's a ton riding on this. This is why in verse 37, as Saul sends him, putting all his hopes on David, he says, go and the Lord be with you. Go and the Lord be with you. David is the representative for Israel. He is their savior. And so in verses 45 through 47, we see this. He comes in the name of the Lord. He's sent by God and the armies as the representative to show that God is the one who saves. In verses 48 through 50, we see what's laid out as the story we're also familiar with. David comes with a sling and stones. And this is a serious weapon. This is not a slingshot. This is a sling, which was basically two straps of, of leather with a pocket. And you put the stone in it. And someone who is really, this was a serious weapon. It would kill you. Um, someone who could really throw this thing, could throw it close to 100 miles an hour. And Malcolm Gladwell actually wrote a book describing kind of some of the, the, the things that happened here. And he researched this. And he said that at close range, someone throwing a stone like this with a sling, it had the stopping power of a 45 caliber caliber handgun. So a deadly shot would kill someone. And so David takes that and places a perfect shot right between the eyes of Goliath, crushes his skull, and he hits him so hard, he doesn't fall backwards, he falls forward on his face. And he kills him and he takes Goliath's own sword and cuts off his head. And here's why you're not like David is because you can't defeat that giant. You can't defeat your greatest enemy. Our greatest enemy is sin and death. The greatest giant, the greatest Goliath you and I face is sin and death. And no matter how strong you are or how capable you are or moral you are, you cannot defeat that. No matter what armor you put on to make yourself successful or what relationship you try or the money you make or the family you put around yourself, you cannot cover your shame. You cannot do away with your guilt. You cannot overcome your fear. You need someone like Israel to stand in as your representative. And that's why Jesus is the better David. That's why Jesus came and courageously did right when you did not, living the life you should have. This is why Jesus came in weakness, not in power, and died on a cross to pay for your sins, the death that you should have died. And much like David cut off Goliath's head with his own sword, Jesus puts death to death. Now, I noticed something this week for the first time. Verse 52 it says, and the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines. David's victory was their victory. 
And because he had freed them from the greatest giant that they would face, they could courageously act and please God. Their biggest problem was dealt with. Jesus's victory is yours if you trust him to save you. And what this means is he frees you to live a life of faith because your biggest problem has been taken care of. And that you can face anything in your life with faith. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I wanna invite you to take that next step, to trust that Jesus came in your place, that he went to the cross for you, that he went in your place, that he exchanged your sin for his righteousness. And that the way that you receive that is through simply trusting him. We would love to talk with you about that. Be sure to drop it in the chat, send us a message, fill out that connection card. We'd love to talk with you about that. that victory can be yours. If you're a follower of Jesus, my question for you is, are you living in fear? Are you attempting to live by your own power? What are you looking to, to empower you? You may be living like you've forgotten that your biggest enemy, the biggest giant you'll ever face has already been dealt with by Christ. Let us be a people who look to the better David, to Jesus who took away our sin. Let's pray. Let's pray.